A little bouncer slowly toward Bryant. He will glove it and throw to Rizzo. It's in time. And the Chicago Cubs win the World Series. I remember running home from school, turning on the TV to the Cubs game, sitting with my dad to watch his heroes. Welcome to the Wells Series Dream of Chicago Cubs Dreamcast, now hanging out with Constructive View. We are not affiliated with the actual Chicago Cubs, but we're just a bunch of fans who love the local night, Kentucky baseball, including the 2016 Wells Series champion Cubs. Unfortunately, as most of you have heard, there will not be a 2023 World Series champion Cubs because they've been eliminated from the postseason. And we'll talk a little bit about that. But first, let me welcome our fellow jabronis of Obstructive View. We've got Adam and Skip. Jeff might be joining us later, but uh, how are you gentlemen doing? I'm doing, doing pretty well. All in all, it was an okay season with a really rough ending, but... Uh, it was it was fun to watch most of it. I uh, I guess I'd say I'm pretty disappointed, um, but in another month or so I won't feel as bad. I think that's fair, and uh, yeah, I think uh, there are a lot of feelings. I generally, you know, as soon as they were eliminated the uh, last night, as of this recording, just like well. That kind of sucks. I kind of wish that they would have won Sunday's game as well, but that's uh, unfortunately when David Ross finally decided to give the Swanson a rest and everybody else. So, uh, yeah, I think what we can do uh, today, now that there aren't as no our Cubs baseball until February when spring training rolls around, is just think about, you know, what we liked about the season, what went really, really wrong. Uh, you know, do we want to assign blame? What are they going to do about this? And, you know, a lot of what I think is going on is just game planning, conditioning, and load management. And we can really talk about what could be, but uh, that'll have to wait until at least 2024. In the meantime, there is a postseason, and I think we can make our picks later on. So how's that for playing, guys? I love this plan. I'm excited to be a part of it. Let's do it. I love it. Let's do it. It's a good plan. As the spring gave away to summer, past the ivy-colored dreams, toward the days that kept us yearning for tomorrow. All right, so I'll let you guys take the lead because I have a little bit of cold. I have my thoughts as well, but whoever wants to go first, like, Three things that you just really, really liked about the season. Don't have us both jump at once. <laughs> Run with it, Skip. Uh, okay, so um, I think the offense overall was better than I expected, and I was happy to see some guys come along. Like, uh, like I was pretty happy with Nico Horner. <laughs> Um, I was, of course, super happy with Cody Bellinger, and and that little gamble worked out. Um, I think uh, uh, I think there's some promise. You know, we saw some good at bats from Canario at the end, um, and so you know, I, I 
I was actually overall surprised that uh, that the offense was, uh, you know, better than I expected. You know, they were scoring a fair number of runs per game. They outscored their opponents on the year. Um, so that would be one thing that I that I liked seeing, um, you know, and and, you know, and the Cubs did have an awful lot. So the second thing I guess I'd say is the Cubs had a lot of come from behind victories. It would also be nice for them to score in the first inning a little more often. But, you know, there was there was a period for a while there where they were doing a really good job coming back. And um, and so I think that shows that there's a lot of spirit on this particular team. And, um, you know, uh, up until the last week or two, you know, it never really felt like they were out of a game too much. And so, you know, I I, I like that a lot. Um, so those are two things. I'll have to think about a third thing for for a minute. But, you know, that's we'll we'll let Adam go. All right. Yeah. Um my first thing would probably be in connection with Dansby Swanson uh, turning out to look like a really good signing. Just that uh, that pitch they made to lead the way with defense for the bulk of the year, it looked really good. Um, you know, at the beginning when uh, Suzuki was out and the the outfield was kind of patched together before Talkman showed up. Um, and for a little while when, when Bellinger was out, uh, they, they didn't have the full, you know, the, the full repertoire at their disposal. But when all the defensive up the middle uh, pieces were in place and when Talkman showed up and Bellinger went to first and, um, uh, who is that guy? Madrigal? Yeah, my favorite, my favorite third baseman, Madrigal. Uh, when he was uh, actually uh, fitting in at third base, the defense was solid, and it just seemed like there were so many games and just a nice, good foundation uh, throughout that bulk of the year when they were really playing well. You know, and kind of the 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 meat in the hamburger of the season, I guess you could say the defense was carrying the team and it, it bolstered the pitching, uh, the moving away from Wilson Contreras and, and having, you know, just good solid defensive catchers lead the way. Yeah. I mean, that part of the plan seemed to really work. And for the most part, it seems like, those pieces are still in place moving forward to next year. So that was a really good thing to see. And watching good defense played was really a lot of fun. Um, the pitching overall, uh, especially, you know, Justin Steele really emerging as a, a Cy Young candidate, um, really just a few games down the stretch probably cost him that, but um no complaints by any means um regarding how Justin Steele pitched throughout the year and i a lot of guys went down with injury and i know the the wheels were kind of coming off it it was like uh, being a 
a dad of a lot of young kids who loved this movie. It was like that opening race in the Cars movie when Lightning McQueen doesn't change his tires and they just all are blowing off, you know, in the last lap and he's just uh, rolling by on on rims toward the end. That's what it felt like. like every reliever and half the starters were just blowing out tires down the way, down the final stretch. But there was so much good pitching. Like if you look at the number of of guys who pitched well for the Cubs this year, it was there just always seemed to be somebody stepping up and and pitching well. Assad, oh my goodness, he he had an amazing year for somebody who it seemed like at the beginning, like oh this is going to be an off year. It'll be nice to have him pitch, you know, when they need a long reliever, but he he was one of the most valuable pieces in the pitching staff. So that was really cool to see. Um, and then, you know, I guess my my third thing is that the Cubs are in a much better position now than it felt like they were at the end of last year to where if they decided to do something big in this offseason, um, that they could really improve to where it would seem like, okay, yeah, maybe they do have a shot at 90 plus wins uh, to where you could depend on that. Um, So yeah, it seems like there's a lot more Jed could do in this off season that would make us feel like contention is a realistic expectation, not just a a long shot dream. Um, And I, I didn't even mention Suzuki uh you know in the the final third of the season uh how good he looked so yeah overall just things being in a better position than they they seem like they were at this time last year um you know i'll take that and i can jump in with my three or however many i can think of because i think you guys took most of the main points uh i can jump on the suzuki train like there are a lot of people who are lamenting you know paying all this money for a guy who's unproven. And I think just from flashes he showed last year and the past couple of months when he was literally carrying the offense, like even with the red hot Bellinger guy, and that was Suzuki uh, and to an extent Young Gomes in the clutch. So that was really fun. Uh, I, I think even during the slumps, uh, I always thought, like this team was one bat running into a baseball away from igniting. And unfortunately that didn't happen, but the the fact that they gave you that kind of uh, mentality, that kind of hope was really cool. And maybe that's, I guess, grounds for disappointment because they couldn't realize uh, completely that hope. But I, I think that's a feeling that you don't normally have with the Cubs teams in the past few years. Like if they're down, they're probably going to stay down, but, for me, every single game, like even the ones that they eventually lost to Atlanta this past, uh, you know, end of season series, they're just like, if they can just stay close enough, they're within reach. They can put up a few runs. And, yeah, ultimately, I guess the bullpen, you just couldn't hold. But there were a lot of very interesting arms, like the pitching infrastructure seemed like it was in a good place uh, at some point. 
you know, you're, you're just using uh, guys that you pluck out of Iowa or Tennessee and they haven't proven anything yet. And that's the weirdness that comes with that is kind of expected. But yeah, there were a lot of really good spots. Uh, I think the second thing is I was right about the 83 wins. It wasn't the way I wanted it to happen, but I'm kind of happy about that. And I think uh, point number three is now they have a baseline. Like we have expectations again. We know that if this is the bare minimum that they were putting into this team, they have to find a way to potentially keep Cody Bellinger or replace him with someone similar. Uh, they have to make sure that Marcus Stroman is not your number one starter. If Justin Still turns out to be a legit number one starter, great. If not, you have to find that one. And uh, I, I think the expectations are that they will add. And that's kind of like what Tom Ricketts said in his end of uh, regular season little snippet at, on Marquee with uh, Boog and JD. He, he was basically saying, like, we have seen promised land. Now we just got to get over the hump. And I really like that mentality. I guess we can transition to what we don't like and then go into how we're going to fix it. But uh, for me, the big thing was wasting playing time at bats and innings for guys who weren't very productive. And I guess it's a double-edged sword, right? Like you don't know that they won't be productive until you play them. But at some point, you got to say enough is enough get rid of them and maybe it's because we're impatient fans but you should have gotten rid of them faster uh another thing is just onboarding new pitchers particularly jameson tyone like he for whatever reason was tweaked beyond repair for a little while and what he did over the past uh few weeks like he he fixed himself to a point where i think he can be very good but if they do get a top of the line pitcher, top of the rotation pitcher, they need to make sure that he doesn't have Paul Atayo or Marcus Stroman in year one or John Lester in year one even. Uh, that That's basically those. And I think the big issue was the breakdown uh, over the past few weeks. Just everybody got tired. There was no depth to, to pull through. You weren't like trustful of the depth that was already on the roster. There were guys that literally weren't playing. And some of that might have been understandable. But at the same time, maybe it was worth it to lose that one game so that Dansby Swanson would be slightly more fresh. That Nico Horner would be slightly more fresh. That Cody Bellinger would be slightly more fresh. And instead, uh, I, I don't actually remember like last time before game 162 that all those guys got a day off and that's really my three uh thumbs downs yeah you know we we talked about depth being an issue particularly uh well actually all around the roster at the beginning of the season and that that proved to be true um and actually proved to be true in all aspects right it was true in offense it was true in starting pitching it was true in relief pitching and so that really, really got exposed in the month of September. And so that's, you know, that's obviously a place where, uh, you know, um, Jed's going to have to clean things up for next year because this this team 
Um, I mean, we, we did see some of the depth come up, um, but this, this team wasn't built to be able to handle um, injuries to, you know, half their starting bullpen and half their starting rotation. Um, you know, it, it just, um, well, I guess it wasn't really half the starting rotation, but, you know, um, even really two people out of the starting rotation was, was too much. Right. So, um, so, you know, that, that depth piece, that's, um, that's really going to have to have to be worked on next, next year. So, um, on the other hand, you know, uh, again, with a double-edged sword, we did see some of these guys come up that we maybe didn't expect were going to, we're going to contribute much, um, or that were a little bit younger. Right. And so we, we finally saw Nick Madrigal, um, <laughs> uh, that, that, that produced something, but we also saw, you know, Chris, Christopher Morell, um, you know, he took a few steps forward. We saw, uh, Julian Merriweather come out of nowhere. We saw Jordan Wicks look really good. Javier Assad, like, um, you know, like, like, uh, Adam said, um, I mean, we saw Kyle Hendricks come back, I think better than most people thought he would. Um, and we saw Alzali fit into, a, 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 a some place in the, in the pitching staff that makes a lot of sense for him. So, you know, I mean, those are good things to build on for next year. Um, we can't have, you know, Fulmer and Boxberger and Keegan Thompson and, you know, half the people that we expected to contribute turn out to be um, really not available most of the year. Yeah, I think that's that's one area where I kind of look at the depth of this year as they were never really all healthy. So I thought the depth was actually a strength you know, from my vantage point, because it seemed like they barely had enough to make, you know, to tread water as it was. And it turned out that there were, there were a lot more pieces in the system uh, than I would have expected. But yeah, it was still kind of weird to see so many um, people that you, you would have expected to be good contributors, just not really contribute at all uh, boxberger um thompson uh yeah just that wisneski was kind of uh maybe what we should have expected i guess based on the the sample that we had um going in but you know i kind of thought he would be uh a a more solid member of the rotation than what he turned out to be. And he is just, he kind of struck me as somebody who never could remember that he could throw 99 miles an hour. Um, you know, it seems to be a lot of that in the, the, in the bullpen of guys who just, I don't know, should, should have a lot more confidence in their stuff than, than, what they did um uh, but yeah the my biggest thumbs down of the season um i i'm i'm with the meatballs and in, in wanting david ross gone and it's it's all for not uh it's not going to to happen ricketts gave him as big of a vote of confidence as he possibly could when 
he was on the air today. It's, it's so predictable and so discouraging because I don't get it. I mean, I don't, I, I, I feel like the Cubs succeeded throughout the year despite him more than because of him. Um, I got so tired of the bunting uh, and just, just, yeah, yeah, just in-game stuff that would kind of drive me nuts. But um, yeah, we're we're stuck with them, so. Uh, yeah, and I, I don't know what to do about that. I'm hoping that uh, the the um, analytics-minded members of the Cubs front office could persuade him to not do things that make it more likely that the Cubs lose during the game. But uh, beyond that, I don't know what realistically it can call for. Um, Ross is the manager and that's, that's not, not changing. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Although man, it sure will be interesting to see where Craig council winds up. Reasonably sure. He was looking to take the year off and then join the Stearns in New York, but I guess we'll, we'll see, uh, together. Uh, speaking of New York, I guess, uh, Buck Showalter is out. So, there's an option that kind of make will make you stretch your head if they actually try to do it. I don't think uh, they're going to rent a Rhea, David Gross either. And I, I guess uh, before we go on to like how the Cubs are going to build on top of this particular core, we can try to figure out how much blame you can assign to David Ross. I mean, uh, there were a few kind of decisions that were amplified. Uh, particularly because the Govs ended up losing that game, right? So I, I think that does happen, and I think Jed Hoyer actually talked about that in, in several radio interviews, like the decisions that don't work are generally the ones that people talk about. Uh, somebody told me that the Cubs actually only bunted like 26 times throughout the season. I think that's 25 times too many, but uh, I also think that there are probably times when it makes sense to bunt, and you shouldn't do that before the ninth inning. You shouldn't do that if you're on the road, <laughs> but uh, uh, for the most part, I, I don't think he bunted quite as much as we thought, but when they did bunt, uh, I guess at least 25% of the time, it was in a very horrific, oh, my God, what happened? Uh, they just bunted into a double play kind of moment. And that's kind of what's, like, stuck in our minds. But, yeah, I kind of want to know how much of this collapse are we assigning to David Ross and how much are we assigning to the fact that, you know, we, we had discussed this. There were just some guys who never stepped up, and there wasn't enough depth to cover for that. Well, I... I guess um, I'm I'm kind of have the uh, the opposite opinion that Adam does on this one. Um, I don't I don't think we we assign you know maybe 15 percent of the blame to to David Ross. Uh, I wouldn't put any more than that on it. And yes, he does he occasionally makes some decisions you know some some strategy decisions that don't make sense. 
Um, but you know, he's looking at the numbers and I can never remember who's going to throw what kind of pitch and, you know, and who can hit what. So, you know, I'm, I give him a semi pass on that, but I, I think that, you know, with this roster and with these number of, of injuries and all that stuff that, um, that for this team to finish with 83 wins is actually particularly with as, as thin as the starting rotation ended up being, um, and is and as haphazard as the as the bullpen turned out to be, I, I think um, you know my only complaint, my real only major complaint about David Ross for the year was that he didn't give people um, a little rest in the month of September, and he should have played Canario and Pico Armstrong once in a while uh, in there, and you know and maybe when Shane Green was called up early in September, he should have had him start and give some starters, some rest and, and not rely on Drew Smiley as much. But my, my real complaints with Ross have less to do with strategy and more to do with, you know, who he, uh, who he would start um, most of the time. And so and that gets back to the at bats say that Eric Hosmer sucked up earlier in the year and Trey Mancini, although, I mean, given Trey Mancini a longer leash made sense to me because he had, you know, more recent, um, uh, you know, examples of success. But I, I actually think David Ross did a pretty good job. Now, at this point, I wouldn't vote for him for manager of the year like I was thinking about, you know, was reasonable a few weeks ago. But um, but I I don't really think uh, he's the blame for the for the collapse or the lack of, um, you know, the, the depth that they had, as, as Adam mentioned, kind of kept them you know, kept their head above water, but not enough for them to, to win 90 games. So, um, I don't, I don't really think, I think Ross did a pretty good job this year, I guess on the outlier. Well, I think there are things he does well, like, especially as, you know, a former catcher, uh, understanding where pitcher strengths are, how they can be used and leveraged and like where their mind's at. Um, I think that's a, that's a skill set that, that he has that I tend to trust, although I think it can sometimes uh, lead him astray of, you know, having that gut feeling and allowing that to uh, be too decisive when it comes to um, who he decides to use and um, moves he decides to make in game. But the beyond, beyond all of those strategic issues. Um, and yeah, I definitely agree with uh, sometimes just saying, I'm going to put together a lineup that gives our guys an extra day of rest and we might very well not win this game, but we have to look at winning the war and losing this battle. And that does seem like down the stretch, he was managing every game like uh, home field advantage or uh, in the, in the wild card round was right there within their grasp instead of let's make sure we have enough gas left in the tank um, at the end of the season to make sure we're still playing in the postseason and that we are ready and fresh come uh, that wild card round. Um, 
because he had this uh, tendency, for instance, to only use uh, Merriweather when the Cubs had a lead. And there was a, a good solid week where they didn't have the lead at the end of games at all. And so Merriweather just kind of sat there collecting dust. And I never heard anything about him needing extra rest or um, him not being ready or nursing an ailment of any kind. It was just like he didn't get used. Uh, similar situation, I, I think, to some extent with Lighter, where they were using the felt like they were using the same three or four pitchers that they would rely on to kind of keep them in the game until they could get a lead and then, you know, bring in lighter and Merriweather um, to hold down the lead. And that just seemed like he wasn't really on track of who needed a rest, who needed to stay sharp. Um, and, you know, just so many players come into the ends of their ropes where they end up going um, either going on the IRR or needing a, a couple extra days off. Uh, yeah, just that that whole realm was, was off for me. But the big thing with Ross that I think kind of uh, overshadows everything else is I just don't think he's that uh that good at managing the psychological uh emotional state of things i think he's a pretty even keel guy and i think he he tends to keep the you know the ship relatively steady but if somebody or the whole team needs to relax I don't think he's the guy that's going to get everybody relaxed. Like when things get really rocky, I don't know that he's the guy who understands, yeah, these guys are way too hyped up or they're way too tense or they're, they're trying way too hard. I don't think he's the guy to make things more fun around the clubhouse, uh, you know, just to let them blow off some steam or, you know, not take themselves so seriously. I think he's, he's pretty much, what you see a pretty intense guy, pretty, uh, even keel doesn't get too, too high or too low, which I think can be really good. But when the team gets off course and you see guys, just every single person is trying to hit a five run home run. Every time they come up to the plate with runners on base, he just doesn't seem to have an answer for that. Like those, those, uh, periods those ruts would go on way too long and and to me i do think uh physically everybody was was pretty uh pretty gassed at the end of the season but i think they also were psychologically not in it i mean when you start making those mental errors that were getting made left and right or just not really feeling at ease to the point where you start to see a lot of um just unexpected errors happening all over the place that's when that's a signal to me that the the team psychologically emotionally is not where you want them to be and i just don't think he is that type of individual who is going to correct that so um 
so yeah, I, I I do think a lot of the really bad Cub losses that you needed like two or three of them to go the other way. I do think there are specific things that Ross could have done in half of those games that could have made made this a postseason um, year for the Cubs. But overall, I, I just think there seems to be this like contentment he has where, hey, I'm doing everything I can. I, I've done what I need to do. And not having that like third dimension of his chess game where he knows how to help the roster of guys um, be in a better place. That's all. So the Atlanta series is a good example of that, right? Um, there were some some really bad defensive plays in there, and in that first game, I guess, against Milwaukee was the same way. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, we used to uh, we used to say that Joe Madden had that that part that you're talking about, Adam, under control, but he was terrible with the bullpen. And uh, and so now this we kind of have the opposite. Right. And so, you know, I don't think um, I don't know, I guess maybe Bruce Bochy is that manager. Right. Or or possibly Bob Melvin. But, um, you know, there might be one or two of those guys in the league at any time. And so, um, and, you know, this is the first year that Ross has had something that resembles a competitive roster, I guess, if you don't count the covid year, because nobody knows what that was about. But um yeah, I, I don't know. I guess, I guess, you know, I'd have to see another year of that to, for me to, 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 you know, really be terribly frustrated about it. Um, I mean, the, the defensive gonna... errors. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> so next year we're gonna see. I could be, uh, we, we, you and I could be switch swapping positions next year depending how things turn out. Um, I'm, I'm totally open for that, for that. Um, although I hope not. Um, yeah, and I think I, I think it's uh, a little bit too of just a fit, you know. I think that was something that this particular rendition of the Cubs needed uh, was a little bit more of a, a psychologist or a psychiatrist, whichever. I always get those two confused, but somebody who could get into their heads and kind of you know understand them. But maybe next year that. That's not something that this that particular group of of individuals or that culture will will need. So, um, you know, it was just something that that seemed to stand out this year in particular. But there are other ways where it just seemed like they were always ready to go. And um, yeah, the Atlanta series that was one where it just felt like. I mean, I I, I said it uh, a couple of weeks ago as this a little bit more daunting um, stretch of the schedule was, was coming up, you know, with a couple of, you know, Rocky series sprinkled in, all they need to do is don't get swept. If they can go through every series and not get swept, they'll be fine. But then <laughs> that didn't happen. Um, but yeah, it just, all told there were still so many, like playing the Braves, they hadn't been playing well, but there were still the Braves. And it was like, yeah, it, it was crushing to know that they they had that first game, especially in hand and for it to end the way it did, you know, with with say uh, just, you know, to me, it seemed like he missed the ball waving off 
Cody Bellinger, which, you know, it's just one of those fluke things. But um, overall, it's the Braves. It's like the very last team you'd want to be playing. And it's like, yeah, playing the Braves when they don't really need to win is uh, in some ways a good thing. But in other ways, they had no pressure whatsoever. And they played like it. And the Cubs played like they were under all the pressure in the world. So it was kind of like those to me were almost the most forgivable games because they were just facing a much, much better team in a much, much better place. Um, and the, the, the two series against the Diamondbacks, I mean, they were crushing, but also the Diamondbacks just played so well for the most part. I mean, they, they made outstanding plays and you really kind of saw what it was like to play the Cubs most of the year when you have, you know, a, a defense that's just making every play that you would need them to make and how it's, it's not like you're saving one run here or an extra base runner there. They were saving five, six, seven runs off the board in a single game with the, the, the plays that they were making. So there's some tipping of the cap. They just played better, but also, you know, at least, at least it was fun. It's, the last couple years have felt more like the game that we watched today was we saw that like 80 times, <laughs> you know, when you knew in, in May or June that the, the, the season was over. That's rough. Watching close games and, and coming up short. That's what we were in for next week. Anyway. Um, we just got to experience that crushing disappointment a little sooner than than we had hoped. But it's still, I mean, it was so much fun to watch this year overall. And it is, to me, exciting uh, what could be uh, in the years to come. Although we've watched enough um, enough Cubs to know the hope of what could be is is never as good as the real thing <laughs> and watching them win. But um, I do see good signs. So, so Ken, what do you think? And and what about the Dansby Swanson leadership uh, um, effect? Yeah, I think part of the reason behind playing guys like Mancini and Hosmer for so long and Tucker Barnhart for the extent is because not because of their money, like they, they were making a substantial amount of money, more money than most of us will see in our lifetimes. But uh, they were veterans, they were promised a fair shake, and I think that goes a long way towards showing other free agents that, you know, the Cubs will give you a fair chance to recoup the value. I also think that they're not going to do those types of signings next year because there are guys in-house and probably aiming a little higher. Uh, whoops. To kind of piggyback on Adam's point earlier, uh, what I think is, like, the Braves hadn't finished home field throughout the playoffs yet, so they weren't going to lie down. But they knew they were so good that they could afford to, like, not throw Spencer Sprider, or they weren't going to miss, miss Max Freed, or Charlie Morton too much. That's fine. But the fact that the Cubs played them so close anyway and were in line to win at least two of those three games and had a chance to win the third one uh, that they were still behind on, 
that made me feel pretty good about the future. Not so good about the present, but, you know. And also, uh, with regard to the Diamond Dice, I just kept telling myself, and maybe just me rationalizing, but this was the team that came hot out of the gate. They were leading the NL West for quite a while before the Dodgers took over, and they weren't, like, a terrible team. So, uh, from that standpoint, it was like you, you shouldn't take any of those games for granted. And unfortunately, the Cubs just went into that time where they were starting to run out of gas, where arms were starting to get tired, where the arms were getting ineffective, where people were going into a prolonged slump. What I'd like to go see going forward is a way to mitigate some of these slumps to make sure it's not the entire team slumping uh, to try to. Yes, I, I get uh, part of the idea behind David Ross giving guys uh, a specific spot in the lineup so that they are more comfortable. But I think there has to be some flexibility in that. And I guess, like, because of desperation and down the line, he had to switch a few guys up, up here or there. And, you know, some sometimes that, that works out. So may, uh, I think... Either Lou, Canella, or uh, Joe Madden did this. They would just say, okay, this guy's in a slump, let's bat him lead off and see what happens. I don't think you necessarily want to do that with even Nick Madrigal, but, uh, you know, uh, just try to find a way to be flexible and get guys on board with the flexibility. I think that was what was the problem is, like, this isn't working, but I'm just going to do it anyway because these guys got me here. But maybe the guys that got you here need a change of pace as well. Yeah, it, it's 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 kind of hard because you saw him do that with Suzuki, right? Like he was he was obviously pressing, pressing, struggling, you know, just trying way too hard, and then he 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 got. You know, benched isn't even the right word. He got rested for a a little while, and then all of a sudden it clicked, and he's suddenly the best player on the team for the last month and a half. And and it just kind of makes you wonder, like, where where was that for everybody else? But you know, I know you can't sit the 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 whole team, but you saw where you know they they pushed the right buttons with Seiya, right? Um, yeah, it just, it, it ultimately, I, I, I look at this team and then I look across the standings to where the Cardinals wound up and where the Mets wound up and where the Padres wound up and the Yankees and, and the Angels after being basically in the same spot the Cubs were and going all in and having the stars to back it up and just falling off the cliff, you know, it, if I had to pick from, from all of those situations, you know, I, I would, I would definitely choose the, the place where the, the Cubs wound up. Um, so, you know, all, all my complaining about Ross, all, all, all the, the wailing and gnashing of teeth that we we've all done is, these last couple of weeks as the, the wheels have come off. Um, I, I still go back to it. It was a fun team to watch and 
they they really did perform much better than than I expected. And uh, overall, I, I'm just at least hopeful about uh, what moves they're gonna gonna make. I, I I don't know who's who's out there. I don't know who the Padres are going to to unload, and I don't know what's gonna happen with Otani, or if the Cubs will even want to keep uh, uh, Bellinger for for next year. What the that situation is, is going to be, but um, man. If it, I I had brought up his Bellinger's end of season stat line, 499 at bats, 307 average, 26 homers, 97 RBIs, 20 stolen bases, OPS of 881. Uh, if 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 I had known going in that they would they would get that for the contract they they signed in for, I. Man, obviously that was a that was a win, but um, yeah, it was just one of the the many things that we knew needed to go right, and it went right. And there were there were an awful lot of those this year. It's just ah, uh, wow. It still sucks. <laughs> yep. Uh, I'm gonna send you guys uh, the MLB trade rumors. Uh, websites for the free agent list but before we go with that uh, i think a lot of that has to do with load management and convincing david russ that it is okay to set a guy even if he says he wants to play uh i think either tomorrow tomorrow or one of the off days uh before uh between the wild card series and the division series they're going to have like the post-mortem press conference with the Jed Hoyer and Tom Ricketts and stuff. So we'll probably hear more about them at that point. But for me, uh, it seems like they should sit down. So Jed and and various front office people and David Ross should sit down and say, okay, this is what we think went wrong. I think you need to like make sure the ASB sponsor does not play more than 145 games if necessary. Put him at DH, put Nico at shortstop or something. Uh, same with everybody else. They got to find a way to build in rest days to do better load management because, like, everybody is trying to pull max effort. And I know that they kind of lollygag it on like 99% sure that they are going to be out kind of ground outs or fly outs or pop outs and stuff. But, like, for the most part, these guys are so competitive that they're going to go all out. They're going to throw like 90 whatever miles an hour that they can because a lot of the arms just simply can't do that. Like that, that's another thing I think we need is more arms that can pump gas, have a better margin of error, and they can actually miss bats because a lot of the time you need a strikeout. Instead, you get like a ground ball in the one place that a guy isn't and it's extremely irritating because a strikeout would have been great there like even the strikeout guys won't strike out somebody most of the time but you increase the chances that you can get out of it uh bad inning that way uh just you know trying to find a way to get justin Steele to 180 innings and beyond like this year was i think his career high in innings and the year before, he didn't even have that many innings. So, like, this is a process where you just got to find a way to keep guys as healthy 
and as sharp for as long as possible. And I don't have an easy answer for that. People are going to get tired. Like, you know, I play softball once a week in graduate school. It gets tired standing there, you know, uh, in, the, in the hot sun. So I totally get it. But uh, these are professional athletes. This, this is a highly paid front office and coaching staff that is paid to figure out that kind of thing. I hope they do figure it out. Steele pitched 173 innings this year and 119 the year before and 57 the year before in the majors. Uh, That doesn't count any minor league stuff, but, um, you know, you can see why some of these guys kind of wore down at the end. Yeah, it's a it's a long season. You know, there's there's no getting around it. And they they. So many more guys are are max effort than um, probably it it used to be, but and you know it all comes down anytime the discussion about uh, roster construction and lineup construction question is always well who <laughs> who are you gonna put in there you know that there was never with Canario might be the the big exception to you know feeling like hey, there's not really a a good option if we, you know, sit guy A, who is guy B who's going to come take over and who who has a good chance of of doing better. Uh, Canario really did look like uh, every time time Ross did put him in, he made him look dumb for not putting him in earlier. Uh, But, yeah, overall, I mean, they, they have to know, like, the the... Jed knows that stuff. Like he he knows how how much uh, players need to be be used, how much rest they need to to get. I mean, there's so much science, so much data that I'm sure they're they're including in in all their decisions. So um, you would hope that uh, Ross wouldn't shut down or dismiss any any data that he's given that says, Hey, you need to, you need to sit these guys um, because their performance is going to suffer if you don't. Um, Yeah. I I just think it's one of those things where they know, they know what's going to work and they know what needs to happen. And hopefully they have a system in place to, to make sure that if things are normal and injuries the injury level that the Cubs suffer as a as a, a roster is uh, within the the normal uh, realm of expectation that that they will manage things accordingly. I think this year it was so bad from the jump. Um, you know, their hand was forced to some degree in some of the decisions Ross made in that regard. Well, remember, you know, Matt Mervis was supposed to come up and 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 uh, you know and hit 250 with 25 home runs this year, and he didn't show anything, right? And so there's a an example of something that I think the Cubs were really probably counting on, and uh, but it it didn't come through. It didn't come through at kind of a bad time because, you know, that was the going to be the solution to getting rid of Hosmer and, and Mancini or at least, you know, sitting them down more. So, you know, there were there were a lot of those, you know, uh, early on where where things were just not clicking like they 
you know, like we hoped that they would. And I think like even the Cubs hope they would do that. So, um, I don't know. So, so Ken, you sent us this list, um, of the free agents for next year. Is there somebody you're particularly excited about aside from, uh, some guy that you, that, you know, has probably played his last day, uh, for the angels a few weeks ago. I don't know how likely that is for the Cubs. He's going <laughs> to make 500, 600 million really stupid dollars. But yeah, uh, I think, well, for the first part, like if you're talking about catchers, I think there's, so you got Amaya and you got, uh, you, uh, as the backup, and you got the no brainer option that they're going to pick up for Young Goes. So the list that I'm looking at for 2023-2024 is immediately after this season, and that includes the option. So uh, the 2024-2025, that's the year after. So I think for that list, you we can talk about it sometime like before the World Series maybe and see who the Cubs are willing to trade some of their uh, prospect depth for in order to get like that one piece that can be cost controlled that they can attempt to sign and trade I or trade and sign or however you say it right like you trade for the guy and then you say we're trading for you with the explicit intention of offering you a long-term extension because uh when i think of a team nowadays i'm not looking at the dodgers anymore i'm looking at atlanta because somehow or other like if you looked at their lineup Every single guy was OPSing above 790 or something stupid like that. Uh, they were they were one through nine, like excellent defenders, excellent hitters. Just the team is superbly set up, and they also extended them for the better part of this decade. So it would be great if the Cubs could get to something like that. So essentially identify the guys in the farm that you, you can develop quickly and build your own mini Atlanta because I, I don't think we're going to be as good as they are, but I think we could be comparable. And in the wild card round, if they don't win the division, they kind of have to just win the two first two games anyway, right? And I think that you can build a team for that. So I guess the, the first guy is Jan Gomes. We can actually talk about Bellinger because I, I think, like Priscillius, who isn't here, uh, posted a little blurb from Mike Petrello about how a lot of the uh, outs that he was making recently have been against like sub 90s fastballs. So there's like a problem with the Cubs, not just Bellinger, but the Cubs as a whole, trying to hit fastballs. Uh, I think Pete Armstrong was having the same problem with Adrian Hauser's 93-mile-an-hour fastball today. I think he whiffed a few times. But I also think that's just because he wasn't playing all that much, which kind of sucked, right? But uh, I, I, I think there, there's a – if we can identify a few guys that you can sign for not too much money, thus saving enough money for, like, an MPB uh, posting or show AO time, uh, you just, just basically need guys who can make contact with mid-90s heat. And uh, we were having, like, issues with that. So get rid of those issues somehow. Uh, there's a few months before spring training. Get the kinks out. 
hit the ground running. That's that's what I really want. But I think it starts with picking up Young Goza's option. It starts with uh, probably picking up Kyle Hendricks's option, which I believe is the uh, intent that I got from Tom Ricketts during his interview today. Uh, they are most likely going to, you know, give Drew Smiley a little leash, but I think they should be at the point where they're not timid about cutting bait if someone just isn't doing what they're supposed to. Yeah, I I, I don't even know what to to really think about uh, building a roster for uh, next year. I mean, I'm not. It's too soon. I'm not ready. I'm not ready to to look at individual guys. I'm not ready to say goodbye to anybody on this team. They all mean so much. As long as long as Nick Madrigal stays, uh, uh, that's that's really the 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 key. Everybody else is expendable. Uh, I'm glad you said that because uh, Nick Madrigal cannot be your starting uh, third baseman next year. It, it just cannot happen. Something's really bad happened if Nick Madrigal is starting for you uh, on opening day. Hey, I, I, I honestly, I, I don't mind it. Uh, it, it, I actually legitimately genuinely arrived at the point where I was more let down when Madrigal was hurt <laughs> than when he was in the lineup. Um, it, there were times, you know, there were things I didn't, I didn't like him being used in certain situations for different things, but it, it was nice. Have like, I believed in the defense and I believed in the, Hey, he, he does what he does. He hits it the other way, keeps it on the ground. You, you kind of know what you're getting when he, he steps up to the plate. He's probably not going to strike out. Um, you know, it, it wasn't, it wasn't terrible. If they have power in other places, it doesn't bother me. It doesn't bother me that much. What what I'd like to see is kind of like you. I mean, I don't know if it's. I know it's not going to get to the point where Atlanta is is now, but just not having the holes in the lineup when the Cubs were really going well, everybody in the lineup was like a a reasonably tough out, and, and that's the way that's the way I think it has to be. Uh, to really have a shot at, at, at going far, um, you know, the defense is nice, but having, having guys that you, you actually can't just throw whatever up there, you know, that are the equivalent of having a pitcher bat. Um, it, it's like Josh Donaldson and the guy is still like to see him on the Brewers just, you know, it made me sad that this is who the Cubs are are losing to. But um, yeah, just a, a, a solid roster is a good place to start. But yeah, it would be nice to have have some legit um, just, oh, crap, not this guy again, guys in the lineup. But we'll see. Well, in terms of not not talking about um, players for next year too much, uh, if I'm just looking over the list, uh, it seems like um, I'm actually think that there's you know some good options for the bullpen, uh, and um, so I, I uh, I'm you know I'm relatively hopeful that the Cubs will sign some useful guys there. Of course, you know we thought uh, 
some of the guys they signed this year would be okay. And and in fact, Merriweather was. It's just that he's not the guy we thought was going to be uh, the the last one standing at the end, right? Um, and uh, but you know, there's there's a fair. It's a pretty good group for the for the relievers, especially on the right hand side. Um, I guess there's some intriguing names in, in on the starting pitching side. Um, uh, I don't see an obvious third baseman, but I, I really feel like, you know, um, either we need a third baseman or we need somebody to play center field if we sign Bellinger back and then he can he can pick. You know, he can either play first or or out, but uh, or outfield. But um, you know, we there's there's definitely that hole on the corner infield that's got to be filled up. Maybe maybe it's Reese Hoskins since he didn't play this year, we was injured. But um, you know, I I really don't know. But um, there's some really clear areas where the Cubs have got to get involved in either a, a, a trade or a free agent signing. I think there's there's no doubt about that. I mean, that's true every year. So. Um, but you know, third, first, uh, depth in the starting, in the, in the pitching staff. Well, actually, you know, we really kind of need a number one starter, uh, unless that's steel. Yeah. I'm not seeing the uh, number one starter who is under the age of 33 <laughs> on this list that we like, I'm pretty sure Marcus Stroman is opting into his final year of the contract. Uh, so, in that case, Marcus Stroman should not be your number one. Uh, Steele probably shouldn't be your number one. Uh, I don't know if you actually want to throw money at Blake Snell because he had one of those really goofy, like, I left everybody that I walked on base kind of seasons. <laughs> uh, so, strikeouts were good. Getting all those guys on base and relying on Mark Dragon is probably not so good. But results are results, right? And that's why he's going to win the Cy Young. But uh, there might be guys that the Cubs can trade for, and they have so many, uh, so much depth in the farm. Uh, like, I, I guess you guys know this because I told you, but the organizational depth is going from 180 down to 165. A lot of guys are going to become Rule 5 eligible. You got to trade some of them that you can't stash them forever. So some of those guys are going to go in trades, and I'll be exciting to see who. Uh, and I'm just waiting for somebody a lot smarter and with more time than I do to uh, figure out who all could potentially be available. Because that's, I think, unless you really are super confident in steel eating 180 to 200 innings. Steel is probably not your number one starter. You gotta get them from somewhere else. Do you think Otani pitches again? Not uh, 2024, 2025. I do. He he works too hard and it's just too much of a freak of nature to not pitch ever again. I think maybe halfway through 2025 or maybe in relief, but I don't see him pitching a full starting pitching load in 2025. Unless, unless, uh, I mean, if he really had Tommy John, we don't really know what kind of surgery he had. Right. So if he had Tommy John, I don't, I don't see him pitching probably until, I don't know, June of 2025. Hmm. But yeah, I'm, still- it, 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 the, the reason I, I say that is I, I'm kind of off the Otani uh, bandwagon 
as far as signing him as a, a free agent. Uh, I talked myself out of it before <laughs> before he got injured because it, it just realizing that he's he's coming up on 30 if he hasn't hit it yet and he's experiencing wear and tear on both you know both aspects of the game as a pitcher and as a a hitter and it seems like we don't really have a comp for what he's doing but we also don't really have a comp for what his body's going to go through as he keeps doing it and uh you know so there's that but if you need a number one, not so much for the long haul of the season, but you need a number one, you know, for what you're going to do when you get to the postseason. Um, if it were a situation where you might be looking at Otani being ready to pitch, say a year from now, uh, I would say that would be the perfect situation to, you know, just have him as a hitter and then, oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna start pitching um uh when the uh the postseason rolls around. I mean that would be fun. That's that's one name I'm willing to to at least entertain uh adding to the, <laughs> the Cubs roster as uh Shohei Otani, but uh, you know, it's not gonna happen, but it would be fun. I think Sayo is going to try to recruit him. Uh, I think there are also a couple of names coming over from Japan that could potentially become number one starters the way we kind of hope that uh, Senga would have been. Uh, he was really good for the Mets, uh, even though, you know, they lost probably most of his games. But, uh, yeah, that that's another avenue is just throwing money at a guy from Japan or the KBO and trying to see what you can get there. Uh, but I, I want to say the, the guy's name is Yamamoto. Uh, I forgot which uh, Jap- Japanese team he's from, but uh, the rumor is like the crowdsource is somewhere around a $200 million contract and that does not include the posting fee. Yeah. There's a couple guys that, that have been highlighted. Um, I'm, I'm perfectly fine with the Cubs. Uh, you know, working on getting those guys over. Um, some of those, some of these Japanese pitchers have been really good, and um, you know, all it costs is money. And um, and honestly, um, I think from what I recall, they're all younger than almost everybody on our uh, free agent list. So um, Jack Flaherty's 28. I guess he's the youngest guy, but um, I think I think they're all either that age or younger. So. Or about that age. So it's so weird because for the Cubs, outside of Tyon, Tyone, most of the, the free agents or the free agent money that they spent really seemed to pay off. Um, I mean, obviously, uh, Swanson and Bellinger really c- couldn't be happier, but. From a league-wide perspective, man, it's the the Mets were like this huge cautionary tale about uh, trying to spend your way into uh, competing. Uh, do you do you think it's kind of the 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 end of free agency as we know it, 
Um, obviously, there's going to be free agency, but teams seem to have backed off of free agent spending in a lot of areas until the shortstop bonanza that was last last year. But um, I don't know. Do you, do you think teams are going to be scared about spending their way into uh, into a championship after what happened so disastrously to uh, San Diego, New York, and New York? I think, uh, first of all, I, I don't think I, I sufficiently answered Skip's earlier question about the MVP Swanson. I think uh, that was a gr- obviously the best signing because, well, the other three shortstops were my plan 1A, 1B, and 1C. Swanson was plan B, right? Uh, he turned out to be the best of the bunch. And so hats off to the Cubs about that. The thing they sold them on was the fact that they were building for something good. And in order to build for something good, you have to spend a little bit of money. You're probably going to have to go over the luxury tax next year, not exorbitantly crazy like uh, Steve Cohen did with the Mets. Uh, not to the extent that maybe, maybe the Padres did, but you are going to go over that line. Uh, that being said, part of the if, you know, idea behind signing as you saw him and basically all the stuff that they promised him was that this team was going to be competitive. So that's going to be through trades, I think, mostly. And they'll probably like swap a few contracts here or there. Uh, the money that they paid to like Barnhart and Mancini, those contracts, I think, are kind of mitigated by the AAV. So they're spread across two years instead of just the one. So that'll help them a little bit. But the... the what you said, Adam, was actually what I said uh, in the preseason when the Padres had just blown all their money on Xander Bogarts and the the Mets had just like gone over $400 million, including the luxury tax that they had to pay on top of the payroll, right? So it was like, if these guys fail, teams are going to use this as ammunition to say, we cannot have agency done as it is. And so that makes me kind of fearful of the next CBA, which is in like 2026 or so, when they're going to be like, hey, league wants a salary cap. Players are going to be like, no, they're probably going to have a strike. But at some point, I think they're going to have a system very similar to the NBA where you have like a salary floor, you have a salary cap, you have max contracts for a period of years. and uh, potentially, uh, you have people start opening their books. So you can see not just Atlanta, but every other team. Where are you getting your revenues and where are these revenues actually going? Because that's what they actually need if they want that salary cap. They have to see the revenues. But I think if a good player comes around, you have to throw money at him in order to secure his services. Yeah, it's going to be interesting, uh, but the, the, this year has also been a, a huge lesson. And you got to build from within, or you can't you can't survive. Uh, I mean, it, it, what Atlanta did it, the past off season was just unfair. Um, the trade, who was it? They traded for Olson. They traded for Olson and Murphy. Murphy, or, or was it both of them? 
that they traded for. It was no Freeman was the year before, so they already had Olson. It was Murphy this off season. Yeah, okay. It, the the Murphy one is just at the time when they got him, and he was so um, so in demand. I just felt like if I, if Major League Baseball was my fantasy league. And they tried that trade. I would have vetoed it. <laughs> it should not have happened. It wasn't fair uh, because they've done such a good job from building from within with guys who just turned out to be, you know, all world players. And then they're adding on and adding on. It's it, it's it's ridiculous. But kudos, I guess. Yeah, it's kind of like what you have to do if you want to be a good team, though. Um, I guess we can end this with asking, are we going to try to retain, like, if we were the Cubs, would we retain Cody Bellinger? And what's our crowdsource contract for Cody Bellinger? What do we expect Cody Bellinger to do, particularly if P. Crow Armstrong is the starting center fielder and now you're essentially paying for a primary first baseman and a backup center fielder who is going to put up not MVP level Cody Bellinger numbers, but this past year Cody Bellinger numbers, if he can even sustain that. I think the Cubs are going to put a pretty good effort in trying to keep Cody Bellinger. Um, and to be honest, I mean, just having him as the insurance in case PCA doesn't come up. I mean, I, I think PCA is uh, absolutely going to start at uh, at AAA next year. I don't I don't see him breaking the roster at the beginning of the year. Um, so I think you got Bellinger out in center still, and then maybe somebody, a free agent or Morel or somebody's out there as the backup. But um, uh, I think they absolutely will. I guess I would say he's 28, right? So he's going to get six years at uh, $28 million a year. Yeah, I think they'll probably try to keep him. I don't know what the need is around the league. Um, but, man, I think there's going to be – high demand and my prediction is that somebody else signs him and the would the Cubs for a one year guy do you get a compensation pick would they get a compensation pick on on Bellinger if they if they so offer up the, was, the qualifying yeah, offer he was non tendered right so he sign with because of the free agent he was never given the qualifying offers so the clubs can and they will he will most likely reject it at which point they receive compensation should he sign elsewhere but based on just looking at the list for this coming uh off season he's the best hitter on the list like you're you're right there's going to be demand and essentially if they want to keep them they have to outbid everybody else yeah it's it's a tough one um, I think they will, I think they will try, I, I, but based on what we, we said already, I, I don't know that he's at that level where, you know, it, it, oh man, it's a, it's a interesting, I will be very interested to see how it, it plays out. My prediction is probably not worth much, but, um, 
it will be very interesting to see if his his defensive capabilities and his offensive resurgence makes puts him more in demand you know i don't think it'll be in the same way that the shortstop market was this past year but it'll be interesting to see how it how it compares um <laughs> it's still it's still hard to believe that they they got him and that they got the kind of the best case scenario um out of the production for him uh and yeah i really liked him i mean it, it, i was surprised i he's not somebody that i i really liked as a as a player in years past probably just because he was a dodger more than anything but um yeah i really liked what he brought to the team and uh just liked his approach and liked the fact that he he was killing it at first base uh when they put him there it's just uh, uh fun to watch fun to watch him play and and hit and i i hope they keep him but i i i don't I don't know where I would put the ceiling on how much I'd want them to spend. If it's 28 million a year, I, I would say that's, that's definitely worth it. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. There's uh, you kind of wonder how much haggling there's going to be like, yeah, you're only 28. Yeah. You're a few seasons away from the MVP season, but you also have those crappy seasons and we don't know how much of this season is real because you got some very good results. Some of them were just like balls that dumped over <laughs> the defense or something like that. But, uh, you know, results are results. And maybe he deserves uh, big time money. I don't think the Cubs are going to be willing to go past six or eight years. But I've always put the Brandon Nimmo contract as an absolute floor. He's going to exceed that by AAV. So let's go eight for, for 28 per somewhere uh, slightly above 225 million for, for me. The, the thing I will say about him is that he seemed to have a pretty good understanding of why he was doing better this year uh, compared to the previous years and saying that he got stronger. Um, he was stronger in specific areas that helped his swing and that made, that allowed him to, to keep, and control the plane of the swing better uh his performance against left handers his ability to um minimize strikeouts you could see a, a distinct difference in his approach with two strikes um i i do believe there were some stats that that show that maybe he was a little more lucky than than <laughs> most guys with his hard hit rate but um, I don't know. I still felt, still feel pretty confident that he's going to be able to sustain the the success. So I do hope they keep him. You know, the advantage is they could leave him in the outfield for a few years and then move him to first anyway. And, um, so maybe eight years is, it's, that's probably actually more realistic in, than six. Like I said, particularly cause he's a Boris, uh, Scott Boris, um, uh, client. So. You can also be like super creative with it and say, you know, we'll give you three years. You, you can opt out at three and four. They probably do the same thing with Hayward. I'm pretty sure they gave him opt outs 
and he didn't because he sucked. But you know, great speech, right? <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I think he's probably like Plan One B after Shohei, and then One C will be like one of the Japanese starters, and then like Plan Two will be trade for like everybody that you potentially need, uh, depending on who's available. Yeah, so I, I guess that's it, guys. I've kept you guys a uh, lot past, I think, your bedtime. Uh, it's still about 8.30 over where I'm at, but I'm also on a part of the planet that is not in a late time zone. So, yeah, thanks, guys, for hanging out with me. I think uh, we actually can end with who's your pick to win the World Series this year based on who's left in the field. I'm going well, with the Orioles. Because why not? I think uh, I think Atlanta's going to win. They're not ac- actually my choice, um, but I think with the offense that they've put together, uh, and they have decent starting pitching, I, I just don't see uh, their uh, their offense is amazing. And uh, I, it's one for the you know one for the record books. Uh, we may not see an offense like that again, and anytime, any soon you know, anytime soon. So I, I think Atlanta goes all the way. I'd be surprised if they lose more than five games in the postseason total, um, which uh, probably means that uh, it's going to be Baltimore against Milwaukee in the World Series. I think it'll be Baltimore uh, and Atlanta in the World Series. I wouldn't mind it. Uh, Baltimore winning because you know, one of my best friends is an Orioles fan. It's been 40 years since they've won, so why not, right? But uh, yeah, they have kind of the exciting young team made up of uber prospects that you hope the Cubs are one day, especially since the farm system is purportedly that good. Uh, but yeah, it'll be really good to see like a well-built team actually win, uh, even if the ownership is, is pure crap. <laughs> most ownerships are i think we're finding <laughs> right uh like like if you ask me who's your favorite owner in baseball i'm not sure that i could i could answer that after a month but um you know there you have it maybe detroit <laughs> i miss marge shot <laughs> it's that bad <laughs> Well, I don't miss March dot, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't really. It just seems yeah. like funny. To say. Yeah, right. I mean, she might not be one of the. She might not be in the lower fifty percent these days of 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 you know, uh, respectable owners or something. But um, yeah. Yeah, she yeah. was pretty terrible. She <laughs> but, was. She was. Although yeah, say. she was on her surface terrible. You know, you didn't have to dig for the terrible. So I guess. <laughs> You respect that? I don't know. But at the very least, you know that the Ricketts aren't going to interfere too much with uh, what Jed Hoyer and the front office are doing. So they have that going for them. I just wish they could spend more money on baseball. Think quick no judge. Right, right. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah, thanks guys again for hanging out with me. You can find our website obstructive view at obstructive this podcast is on podbean 
Uh, I don't think anybody really emails us, so whatever. Uh, we'll, we'll deal with that. But uh, you, we can thank Rich Deanna for a theme song and Randall Sanders for performing the final out call from the 2016 World Series. So this is us saying hopefully the Cubs are in the hunt in 2024. And once they get in, anything can happen. But they for sure need to get in or else uh, sharpening the pitch works. Any last words, gents? Yeah, I got a trivia question for you guys. Who is the hitting coach for the Miami Marlins? Uh, it used to be Barry Bonds for a year. That's all I can tell you. Ex-Cub. Andre Dawson? Nope. Brant Brown. <laughs> uh, uh, yes. Just seemed uh, very, very appropriate to to mention Brant Brown since we're here in the middle of playoff talk. Oh, I so. wish I didn't know that. <laughs> Based on the fact that they actually got into the playoffs, I do think Skip Schumacher gets a few manager of the year votes. But yep. that uh, I, I think they won like way more one run games than they should have, and that's part of the reason they snuck into the playoffs. All right, I'm going to go cry. See you guys later. (laughs) All right. Uh, Until next year, go Cubs. Go Cubs. Go Cubs. Oh, no. It was more than just a game.